Is that Rankin Roger? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. This is Andy Clark from 7FM. Have you got a few minutes to talk to us? I have indeed, yes. You are vocalist and inspiration behind the beat. Indeed, yes. Indeed. Well, oh. partially. I mean, we. I think all the original members of the beat inspired it in their own way, which is the magic of it. It says actually on your website, formed in the working class suburbs of industrial Birmingham in England in 1978, the beat arose at a time of high unemployment and social upheaval. From the outset, the band offered messages of hope and peace with an insight into socio-political topics that would later, alongside uh, the specials, see them heralded as forerunners of the whole two-tone and ska movement. And I grew up with that. I mean, what a fantastic era it was, wasn't it? It was, but it was a, a very dangerous and, and sad time too. You know, there was a lot of unemployment yes. and racism, and there were there were a lot of differences. I mean, we have differences today, but they were they were a lot more severe then than they are now. You know, um, and there's a lot of uh, rallying and getting people together. I mean, I, I remember it. Obviously, being a kid, I was. I left school in 1982, so, you know, I grew up with, with Scar, um, with, with that type of music. But, and obviously, as a kid, I probably didn't see the side that you guys were writing about. We just liked the music, you know, the lyrics yeah. probably were actually secondary, but that's why you write songs, isn't it? It's about the lyrics and the music together. Well, it, it is. I mean, we, we came out of, if you like, Paul's Punk. Where a lot of the the mu- a lot of the lyrics in the music were about the way you know the people's experiences and the way they were living at that time, mm. and we just followed the same route, I guess. Except we, you know, we just kind of changed. You know, we had different music around it, and I guess we had a couple of pop songs which really helped too. But your first hit was it wasn't Tears of a Clown, was it? It was. It was. It was, t- it was. It was Tears of a Clown. Yes. Tears of a Clown and ranking four stuff as a double A side. But the one I remember is Best Friend and Can't Get Used to Losing You. I remember those songs really well. Yeah. What drove Best Friend? Can you remember? Well, what drove it? Yeah. What drove the? the can you remember what drove the song? The, the lyrics behind that. Well, it was. I mean, obviously, it was. Um, it, it was a tune that was written on the Isle of Wight, and this was before the beat actually started. Dave Wakeling and Andy Cox ah, um, yeah. were on the Isle of Wight making solar panels one summer, <laughs> and Fantastic. Best Friend and Save It for Later were the first two tunes that came along. And you know, they were just messing around on the beach, playing guitars, and you know, those are the tunes they came up with and found the bass player David Steele, and then came back to Birmingham where they met Everett. Um, the, the bass player found Everett, and, and then um, they approached me. I was in a punk band at the time because I was one of Birmingham's only, you know, black punks, if you like. And um, I was a drummer of a punk band, and, and they asked if, if they could open up for us because we were doing a gig. It was our first gig ever, and, you know, they opened up for us and blew us off, and I soon joined them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got involved with the beat. Um, and, you know, I used to bring crowds to them. And obviously I was their front man. You used to yeah. get the crowd going. And I became their M- MC and, and vocalist alongside Dave Wakeling. So, you know, it was kind of... Uh, I was lucky and it was chance and just being in the right place at the right time and, and taking a chance of, you know, daring to be different. Daring yeah. to be different. That is our radio strapline. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? Because Brilliant. Yeah, it helps, and it, ma- it does make you stand out from the rest, and I suppose, to this day, 
the beat stands out from the rest. Out of all the other bands which were which were on Tucson, I mean, we had one single on Tucson, then we got off as yeah. quick as we got on because we wanted to go and do our own thing and we didn't want to be classed as a ska band. We wanted to be known as a dance band. So yeah. we went off and started experimenting with different types of music and daring to be different. And yeah, it worked. It's it's what m- made us stand out from, you know, other bands like Madness to Selected the Specials. You know, we, we stand out in our own right, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, we didn't try to follow fashion. We, we did our own thing. Exactly. You were leaders in that. I remember I was at school and in Gloucester Cathedral, I remember we were doing a, one of these orchestral things and I paid the drummer £2... This is in yeah. probably 1980, so that when At the Name of Jesus started, he had to play the beginning bit to mirror in the bathroom on the drums, and he did it. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the headmaster was not impressed. You were known as the English beat in America for some reason. Yeah, that's right, because um, obviously we'd had a hit in England, and we did our first album and did Europe and... That was all good. Then we came back into another tour of England, and somebody said, well, isn't it about time you guys went to America? <laughs> and we weren't really interested in America, really. I mean, I always wanted to see it, but I was in no real hurry to get there because I knew there was a, a lot of bad as well as good there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so I was a bit hesitant. I mean, my first trip of America wasn't the best, but then I got used to it over the years, and in the end, really got to enjoy it, you know, yeah. um, because I knew where to go and the place, the kind of places to go, so I knew where I could, you know, not see all the misery and the crap that goes on. You know, um, w- we wanted to go to America, and um, someone made us aware that there was a band in America called The Beast, and we're like, what? <laughs> Another <Yeah."> one? <laughs> and uh, That's right, and that they were a rock band, like a pop rock band. And so our lawyers spoke to their lawyers and came up with a deal that they would be called Paul Collins Beat and that and we decided we would be called the English Beat and they kind of you know, both both parties agreed and therefore we became the English Beat in America. And that was just um, in America you were known as the English Beat, was it? it wasn't in the UK, just was, the Beat, wasn't it? just in America. That yeah. was obviously we were the same it was the same album that was coming out, but just under a slightly different etch to the name you know yeah um but it was the same album released in america and england you know usually in england maybe a month or two before america you know that kind of thing yeah. um it, we got to it, in australia we were known as the british beast oh really and i don't know why that was i mean <laughs> i was like um so the english beast and the beast are the same band so. they are the same band yeah. excellent it says it says here that you reformed in 2003 but Dave Wakeling's now headed off to the US. Do you keep in touch with him at all? Not really. I mean, we do through, um, you know, my manager kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't really have any one-on-one uh, chats with him kind of thing. But, you know, we do talk about stuff because, you know, after the beat we had general public. And so, you know, we, we have to talk about the old general public stuff because all that, all the back catalogue's going to come out next year. And oh, brilliant. All the, all the, you know, the old beat catalogue's coming out at the moment, so we have to talk about that too. Excellent. Yeah. We've, we've had a few different sort of celebrities on. I could class you as a celebrity because you are, aren't you? Well, you are to me anyway. You might see me as well, but, you know, for me, I, I just, I'm pretty normal. I mean, people would say, you, you're really boring, you are, Roger. <laughs> you're supposed to be deverish and blah, 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 and... 
but I, you know, I, I'm very, I'm very normal. I'm very natural. You know, if I can put it that way, you know. Fair play. Although I love my gadgets, I'm very natural at the end of the day. Brilliant. Yeah. What do you think of X Factor? I think it's awful. <laughs> and also, uh, the reason why I think it's awful is because they're handpicked, um, and not only that, the you know the the way they nurture the acts to do things the way they want them to, to be done. Uh, I think it's important for an artist to have artistic freedom. That's first and foremost. And I, and I think that it can spoil um, a lot of people's careers. Definitely. And once you've been on X Factor, then somehow it seems like, in our underground anyway, in, in our kind of rock and roll world or whatever it is, in the real music business, if you like, it's seen as on call. So... I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I would say um, keep away from the X Factor and, yeah. you know, go and form a band and go out there and do it live, man, the old-fashioned way. Yeah. And if you're any good, people will pay attention and they will keep coming. And it's important to get yourself out there and, you know, how do you get a record deal nowadays when all the record companies are finding it hard to get hits and things like that? Yeah. Um, you know, well, you have to find ways of doing it yourself and... If if a record company can see you helping yourself, you know, you're doing it yourself and you're doing well at gigs, they mm. usually come in and start backing you anyway. So you've got to help yourself first one way or other, you know. And it's, it's, it's undoubtedly going to give you more control over what you do, so they're not dictating to you what you're doing and when you're doing it, are you? If you're leading them, they've exactly. got to fall in line with you. They play along with you, yes. And, yeah. that, and it works for a better thing, you know. I mean... Always, you know, with the Beat and, and our record companies, we always had mutual agreements with them, which was great because it meant that we worked together and we got the best that way, you know. Um, so that's the best way to do it in the long run, is to do it together. Um, but, you know, the artistic control, the artist should have the final say of which mix goes out or, you know, which version of what tune goes out. Um, that's important because... Um, in my experience, a record company person can walk away from that tune three months later, but the artist has to live with it for the rest of his life. And if there's a mistake in that tune and you've let, you've let it go out and it's out there, 20 years later you'll hear that tune, that bit will come and you'll still cringe, <laughs> believe me. So, it, you know, it's important. You know, the small things and details and... Things like X Factor don't give you the artistic control. Nah, it's more entertainment, isn't it, really? for It's an entertainment yeah, it show, is. isn't it, really? It's, it's like, like karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> karaoke um, on telly. <laughs> but, I mean, I, you know, saying that, I have seen some brilliant talent on the X Factor. Mm. It's just a shame that it's so controlled because that takes away from the spirit and the soul of the real artist, you know, which sometimes I'd like to see. You know, they'd probably go further if they... There was a show like X Factor which gave people the chance to really show their true self, you know. I was talking actually with Jules Holland and he was yeah. saying Squeeze got to number two back in 1970-something um, yeah, with Cool for Cats. It, yeah. yeah, it was, wasn't it? They sold something like half a million copies to get to just number two, but nowadays you can sell something like 20,000 downloads to get to number one. What, what do you think of the music industry really now? It's so much harder for acts because 
number one, that there aren't as many record companies as there were. They've all merged together and become big multinational things. Um, so, you know, an indie record label, like, say, Stiff Records or even Two-Tone Records, for instance, would have given, uh, you know, you would have stood more of a chance getting a record deal with them. And it wasn't about making money. It was just to get your name out there. And then a bigger record label would then pick you up, you know. But um, the way it's gone, you know, uh, and people blame downloads, really, but I uh, I don't think it's because people were downloading free music. I think it's be just because technology's changed, and there are so many different ways to, um, you know, to, so many different formats to get the music on, and that's that's what's happened, you know. Mm. Um, and it seems like the the best place to make money in the music business now, at the moment, is seems to be. If you can get your your music into movies, you can get really good money for that. Um, but I mean, for a new band starting out and trying to get out there, it's really difficult because it's all right. Me on one level saying, "All right, you got to be self help and you got to show them." You, you know, and people are out there doing that. You know, yeah. you've got to ask something about you. You anyway. You you got to have hits. You got to have tunes that when if a record company person. Here's that tune. He smells money, and yeah. that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. now. It, it's it's uh, kind of you can be called your music can be called, and it can be underground, but there's got to be something commercial about it, hook lines or melodies or something that keeps the crowds coming or keeps these industry people interested. Yeah. Um, because you have to be different as well. Definitely. Um, but it's so it, it's difficult. I mean, nobody knows really where to turn. You know, my suggestion is, because I know it works, is to go out there and do it yourself live and make your own records in your own... You can buy, you know, it used to cost 100,000, maybe 200,000 pounds if you're a big, big band to make an album. Yeah. You can make an album for about two grand now, maybe three. I mean, if you, if you, I mean, it sounds like a lot of money, but if you go out and buy yourself a Macintosh and go and buy Logic. Logic so, Pro, yeah. Yeah. That. yeah, and you can and you get loads of sounds free with that, yeah. and you can make records, man, yeah. of proper sounding digital things with no hiss and scratching. And if you can get the right combination, you can get out there and make something of it, you know. Definitely. Um, but again, you you gotta have the right publicity machine behind you, and this is where record companies big record companies come in because they've got that kind of money to put into the publicity and and if you can that is what's going to make help your record to sell so difficult it really is uh, you can do all that and still nobody may pay any attention um so we leave it's changed and we're all waiting you know so i think it's gonna it's gonna a lot of it's gonna happen from people selling it themselves on their own websites well, that's what um, Lily Allen did, wouldn't it? That's how she started, I think, on YouTube, wouldn't it, or something like that, I believe? That's right, yeah, initially. But then, obviously, um, she then had a big record company to give her all the publicity after yeah. she'd done that. And that just, you know... <laughs> that <just laughs> that does help. Which is great, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously, that is the key to it. It is the publicity and everyone knowing you're out there, but then having the chance to be played on the radio as well, if you could you know if you're good enough what, what yeah, do you what yeah. do you think of um stuff like facebook twitter 
all this sort of stuff, uh, the media products, do they have a place for what you're doing, or what do you think? Do well, you use of course Twitter? they do. Yeah? Um, obviously. I mean, I, 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 you know, I am on Twitter, but I don't really bother with Facebook, although I should, really. Um, I'm a ranking junior, my son does. He's, yeah. he's always on there. But <laughs> the thing is, I think it gets too much in the way of my life. <laughs> yeah. So I just haven't got the time to do it because I'm too busy thinking about music or business or something else. But... I think it's important because, you know, you can you can get someone to a gig in, you know, you can get 300 people to a gig by pulling a little advert on your Facebook and people, oh, I didn't know that, great, and they pass the message on and it goes viral, things yeah. can happen quickly through Facebook. Um, but I think that it, they, it can delve too much into your private life and therefore, you know, once I'm off stage... Uh, you know, when I'm at home or whatever, I go I go into my private life and I don't want to be part of the media and all that business. I, I just go and live my life and, you know, be as natural as possible and forget about, you know, you out there you're supposed to be a pop star. Well, right here, I'm just me and no one else. And don't you dare try and treat me like that, you know, because <laughs> I'm just normal like everyone else. Fantastic. And I deserve to be treated that way. What would you be doing if you weren't entertaining and performing and being a musician? I mean, you said you like gadgets. Would you be doing yeah. something to do with that, do you reckon? Well, funnily enough, I've always said if it wasn't for music, I would have been in prison and I might have been. Um, <laughs> That's but, what Jules Holland said. He said exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, music saved me big time. And, you know, I kind of, I could, I could put my energies somewhere else instead of being mischievous, pull it that way. Yeah. And it went into music, and I was cheeky in music, and it was great because it worked, you know. Definitely. Um, and I can't really, you know, I can't really look back. I just have to look forward all the time. I don't look back. Um, but I really don't know what I would have been doing. Um, I don't know. I'm, uh, I wanted to be like a carpenter or, you know, a mechanic or something like that. Creative again, um, yeah. Yeah, creative again, you know, but I think... I hit the right note when I decided that I wanted to be either an actor or a musician, certainly in the entertainment industry. And I was quite sure about that from the time I was 13. That, that's what I wanted to do. And, and I, I headed that way. And I left school the day I was 16, didn't take my exams, so I got no qualifications. And I took the risk. And I was in the right place at the right time. And somehow managed to get into the beat and get success and went all around the world and you know 33 years later or something i have to look at it and go well i'm the right thing you know oh yeah I, I, it was so easy to have got you know when the riots were happening in birmingham and you know 77 yeah. and 78 it was so easy to have because I saw people doing it. It was so easy to have picked up a rock and thrown it at yeah. a building or a policeman, but I didn't. I thought, no, I see this danger. I need to get out of here. This is not right, you know. It's not the right way, you know. Um, and so, you know, obviously I turned and I went another way, and I, as I say, I put my anger into music yeah. by protesting about it with the lyrics and by people like the women at Green and Common the miners, the yeah. unemployed, all those people who listen to things like Stand Down Margaret, you know. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Stuff yeah. like that. They, you know, they, it came home to them. That was the way I, you know, that was m me throwing my my stone, if you like. Yeah. At, 
the big system. Definitely. Interesting. Definitely. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. I could talk to you for ages. It's brilliant. <laughs> yes. I, I think when you get to, because you're similar age to me, I think you're slight, slightly bit older. Um, but I think when you get to our age, you turn into your parents, don't you? And I think that's what... In a way, <laughs> well, it's certainly, you, you, you know, if you're not wise by then, then yeah. you don't have to learn anything. But we definitely become a lot more broad-minded about stuff. Definitely. And, um, yeah. You know, with the experiences of life, yeah. you just see things that... A different way to when you were 17 and 19 you know yeah indeed yeah. well i tell you what as i say honestly this has been really fantastic for me um Brilliant. thank you very much indeed i really appreciate My that pleasure. Thank excellent you, take care nice one cheers bye bye cheers mate bye bye <laughs>